0: Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of The Urban Mystic. In this season we are exploring relational spirituality, which is not rooted in character formation and instead in immediate relational engagement with God. It is a relational mystical spirituality encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others and God. We can't think of any better venture to give our lives to than this and I'm sure you'd agree with us. In this episode we dive into another of our key values, that of intimacy with God. Though we can draw on a number of analogies from our human to human relationships, these often support the idea that God is practically distant and that engagement with God constitutes a peak or mountaintop experience. This is, however, untrue, as the image of intimacy is presented by God to us as the true depths of what a relationship with God can be like and what we can attain in this life. Are we perhaps selling ourselves short in substituting faith and limerence for genuine relationship? And if so, what beginnings do we make at exploring and establishing intimacy with God as our highest and deepest value? Urban Mystic relies on your support to do the work that we do. Please consider making a regular or one off contribution via the, the link to PayPal in the show notes. Please don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the co- podcast, and leave a comment on your favorite listening platform. Moving on to the value for intimacies with God is quite challenging because it's a lot easier talking about the ways in which it is practiced than talking about the value itself. And I think it's, it's important to note that when it comes to this as a value, we're, we're in good company that goes back quite far back. I think that's, uh, how do I put it? You know, you know. So in many ways, we could we could think back to people like Brother Lawrence, who speaks about the practice of the presence of God. We can think of people who pioneered alternative expressions of church, like silent worship. People like George Fox. We can think of people like Jonathan Edwards, who speak of things like the religious affection. We can think of individuals like 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 Charles Finney, or locally here in South Africa, Andrew Murray, John Wimber all of those where where there's various different language that's used, but it's actually pointing to the same thing. And when you look at the context of what they're doing, you're looking at the way they're put into practice. And then behind the scenes, you're dealing with their value for the presence of God, their value for intimacy with God, their value for a relationship with God that, that means that they pursue it and that it's a vital part of the way they do ministry or go about practicing their spirituality. But I feel like we are we're in a context where faith is prioritized, where mystagogy is the norm, and where people are educated to believe in God, but we don't have experience front and center with what we do, when we practice spirituality or when we do church. We are in an environment where experience is not very trusted and and where we almost have this dominant, paradigm that says that faith is mature and doesn't rely on experience and an immature faith is an earlier a young faith that the, where a faith commitment is made and experience is a part of it. but then we quickly get into the thing of you can't trust your feelings, you can't trust your experiences. So you have to believe on the basis of faith. you've got to believe on the basis of the, the long-standing tradition of the faith and the scriptures. Because they actually give you what you need. And I feel like there's a, a there's a bit of a weirdness to that. because I feel in many ways, it's like saying to a couple that their experience doesn't matter or their emotions don't matter, that all they experience was a was a honeymoon phase when they were new to their relationship or new to their marriage, and that that is supposed to fade, and then you're supposed to be left with a mature commitment to each other. You don't need the assurances of the relationship. You don't need the feelings to go with it because you've got this mature commitment that you just settle into. I know many couples like that that are no longer couples because it just doesn't make sense. If, If all you're looking back is to a picture book and to early experiences that you had 10, 20 years ago together, but you don't have current renewing experiences, you don't have a vibrant emotional relationship, you don't have m- moments of wanting to connect with each other and spend time together or do things together, then you're actually not relating anymore. And I feel like the dominant paradigm that we have for, for, for faith is one where you, you may start with an early experience, but experience is not necessary. You're just supposed to have faith. You're not supposed to rely on experience, which means that God talking to you directly is not important. You just read the Bible and you have faith, or you go to church and you have faith. And I feel like there's a discrepancy there that I feel is very important to unpack and and chew through, because to value intimacy with God is to value the kind of relationship where you share experiences together by doing activities together. You spend time with one another. That means that you connect meaningfully. And those times are characterized by verbal and nonverbal communication and by the quality of your interaction.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And that gives us so much, yeah, that gives a lot of room to explore. And, and to be very honest, it's blindsided me a little bit because… Oh, I like that. When Yeah, yeah, that's me too, me too, because that's quite helpful. Because as I was kind of thinking through the approach, I realize now that a lot of that has more to do with the practice of the presence, rather than actually what is behind that, which, okay, we'll just flesh that out a little bit, which is just this idea of, the, of yeah, which is the value of intimacy, the value, I would think of words like friendship. Being involved, because I want to dig into what you're talking there, the kind of the analogy of human to human and how it might then be human to divine. Because you're right, there are practices that come out of that, but it's rooted in this sense of I can expect to be closely connected with another, and even potentially more and more closely connected. And our connection is not sustained and doesn't manifest itself only in the doing of tasks together. And we've, we've talked a bit, I think, previously about you know the idea of, I think specifically for me, it's come up in the context of pastors, priests, ministers, etc. And, and kind of running a church, kind of like running the household of God. And so you as the one parent, God as the other parent. And it's a purely functional relationship around what to do for the kids and who needs to be fed what and what activities need to happen when, et cetera, et cetera. But what you you captivate, what captivates me in what you say here is the central kernel, which is the sense of I would want in a partnership where I was co-parenting, let's say, I would want my friendship with my partner. Yeah, I feel like I want to move over to friendship because intimacy feels a little bit, not intentionally, but a bit misleading because it, it potentially just sounds a bit like we're just talking about sex. You know what I mean? Like if we talk human to human. And so that kind of intimacy is not necessarily what we're going for, although it is intimate. It's not, we're not quite bedroom intimacy or naked intimacy, you know? it's all sorts of nakedness because it, intimacy is about is about um, sh- it's about sharing of yourself it's about revealing of yourself so that's obviously where the intimacy the sex act kind of comes into it you take off your clothes so look there's more of me for you to see now <laughs> and hopefully enjoy i take off the layers of who i am of my hurts and I unpack my history with you, etc. And really good friendship for me does that really good friendship is not, it's not sustained alone by oh, like, Oh yeah, you and your friend Rory. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we go cycling together. Or we play basketball together. Or we uh, part of the darts club or whatever. We're in a book club or whatever it might be, just shared activity that could be part of it. But if you really talk about true friendship, It has to do with, I know more of you now than I knew back then. And I know more, you know, we talk about storytelling and listening. I've listened more and more to your story. I've watched you clarify your own story over time. You've shared more and more of your own story. You've taken me deeper into your own story. You've returned to elements of your story from earlier on, but taken me further as you've gone further And I've done the same with you. And we build this bridge over which this transfer happens, which sounds like practices, but it's actually the value of I want to be closer to you, which means I want to know you more. I want you to share more of you with me. And I want to show you that I value that, that I appreciate it, that I accept it, that I listen to it, that I journey with it. And we're going to do that to each other and we're going to meet each other's needs mutually, but it's not just what do you want for dinner? Can I make you a coffee? Shall I fetch the kids? It's much deeper than that. And so I love how you position that because it really just takes us out of any potential confusion around like practices and acts and tasks and goes, what is central here? What are we talking about? We're talking about two people mutually investing in themselves and each other over time. And you can see there is genuine affection. There's a desire to be in the person's presence, to spend time, to know more about them, to be interested when they share something fresh or insightful or different. There's, There's respect. There's what do you think? I value your opinion. I value your thinking. I value how you see this. There's be a safe space for me there's i mean there's so many elements there and so that's really helpful in terms of how you how you set that out for us to just explore this evening and on top of that i just feel a little bit stupid that i missed that (laughs) and that's blindsided me so well which is great that
0: just touches on how hard how hard this is i like the way in which you're speaking of friendship with god over intimacy because of the way that intimacy is often just reduced to sex I think that we would be keeping poor historical company if we did that, though, because the mystics speak of deep intimacy and relational union with God as the actual goal. That that for them <clears throat> there's the transition from God as a stranger to the guest, to the friend, to the intimate partner. and. I think that it's a valuable distinction that you hold, but it's a distinction that arises from a dysfunction in our society, in our context, rather than a recognition or a respect for the deep value of what we're what we're actually aiming for. So that's good. I'm just thinking of it that way, but but what you've said is really valuable because it isn't reduced to sex. We we're not looking at having sexual union with God we are looking at the notion that intimacy and relating intimately is actually what that transition from stranger to guest to friend to close friends to confidant you know there's these different steps and layers that we could we could use to understand I I think the other thing so so what I'm trying to balance here is, is 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 respecting and valuing your insight there while at the same time trying to trying to think of what's what's potentially taken away by that
1: i like that no that's that's very 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 good because yes because you quite rightly point out that if we only talk friendship let's move back to the human to human let's, uh, i think maybe that's also helpful let's be very clear when we're talking about what so if i speak about the human to human to only speak about friendship is not to talk about the deepest intimacy that two human beings can experience That's not what I would describe it as. I would say that friendship is right up there, number one, and so is. So this is where it gets a bit confusing for me, but so is the the bodily connection, sexual. Again, like choosing language carefully because sex can sound like one very specific thing, but there is a physical connection between two people. and. And so I would think there is a physical, there's an emotional, there's an intellectual, there's a spiritual, and what else would there be? And those terms would need to be unpacked well, perhaps, but between two people to really move as you talk. I like that, how you talk from stranger. And I'm going to jump a little bit because I loved what you said earlier about you know people having a first meeting with God that's not that's not task oriented, right? Like, it's, it might hit, like, you you meet, you meet somebody for the first time, perhaps over a coffee, you're both sitting there drinking coffee. But that's not really what's going on, right? Like, that is an unveiling. That is a first discovery of this person. There's a initial perception, you know, there's the first, uh, first impression, There's perhaps an interest and excitement. Who is this person? Why do I find them so physically attractive? Oh, wow, Jeep is talking to them, intellectually attractive. Oh, they share a bit more deeply. Oh, emotionally attractive. There's a lot of things going on there, right? But that person is still very much a stranger. And I like how that moves through. And I think great human relationships do move from stranger to deeper deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper but you're right to just say friendship is not enough. And actually intimacy is where it's at. But just being clear in terms of what we're saying, what are these aspects, these facets of intimacy, that might make up the the relational union that the mystics speak of? I'm tracking with you.
0: Very much so. Very much so. Well, I, I want to throw something out that is that is actually, I think it's quite unpopular in our thinking. <laughs> cool. By our, I mean just out there in society in general. <laughs> okay. So there, there, there's this notion out there that God is always present and that God is always speaking and that, that it's us that's just not in tune with it. And so the idea is that we need to shift our understanding, our perception, to then see that God is always present, that God is always speaking. And I don't feel that that kind of change is actually in relation to God. It's actually in, in a change in relation to emotional security and outlook and almost just belief about what life is like. You know, God is not there, okay. I changed my belief, okay, God is always there. But nothing changes in my circumstances. Nothing necessarily changes in my connection with God. So, so I want to put that out there. And I know that there's, 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 a, there's a lot of kickback over that and it, it merits more formal and deliberate exploration. But I want to throw that out and contrast that with the, the notion that to value intimacy with God is to value God as a unique other person who draws near, engages us, and withdraws from us as well and then is no longer present relationally to us i don't think that this is an aspect to god's behavior and personhood and the way in which god relates to us that is well teased out and i don't think that we can value relational intimacy with god or hold to a high value of intimacy with god if we are if we don't together with that develop a sense of recognition of god's drawing near god's abiding god's withdrawal You know, God drawing near, is God speaking, is God acting, is God just around, um, Mm. you you know, and then the sense that God ceases to speak, God stops acting, God, God silently just recedes. So I feel that valuing intimacy with God values God's absence and values God's presence. And this is one of the first times I've really tried to articulate this in a way that I hope that makes sense. So, <laughs> so how, how am I doing and what do you think of that and, and, and what do you make of that?
1: Well, are you suggesting that part of the foundations of intimacy, Let's let's start a bit broader. Part of the foundations of intimacy in any relationship is both presence and absence approach and withdrawal so is that part of the building blocks of what an intimate relationship would look like
0: i think so yes because on one hand we've got the, we've got the stark contrast between the person is absent we're both arriving to a meeting so there's both of us drawing near and engaging after that meeting is over someone gets up and leaves, or both people get up and leave together there's the withdrawal from each other But even in a close so, just
1: to be clear, leave together as in at this like the same time they get up, but they don't leave. They don't leave together. They both they leave in opposite directions, go on their own. They just happen to leave it. Yeah, got you, got you. Carry on.
0: So, So that's that's one kind of of people, of presence being valued and absence being respected and valued as well. But then there's another kind of presence and absence where you can be sharing a space and and be working together and working past each other, but you're not actually spending quality time together. So then there's the difference between we might be in the same space and then we're turning to each other in quality time and sharing moments of connection as we go about doing, whether it's the same thing or different things, but you can have quality time and connection together. And there again, one is valuing the the the, the turning to one another and valuing the turning away from one another to go about doing different things. And that's, that's hard to communicate. I think in spirituality, we, we often default to the idea that God is always present in that close sense, as opposed to respecting the fact that God is often quite far off and quite distant from, from us, and that if we don't start off with a clear recognition of God's absence, then how can we move to a value for God's presence? Because then it's very easy to look at the absence and say, oh well, God is always present. Yet. This might not be making as much sense. I'm I'm I'm, no, no, like no, I'm no, that's, to communicate it. No, no,
1: no, 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 That's um, it's cool. I, I I think you're doing better than I would be doing in that in, <laughs> in the hot <hard laughs> seat because it it's it's a I think what partly it's it's complex. So partly what I'm battling with is to try and keep the threads somewhat separate because there are a number of tangents yeah, not even tangency, important roads to run down in terms of exploring this. But to do it means to take each road as best as possible for itself and try and look through those and, and not, you know, not, not try and run down all the roads all at the same time. Part of what makes this so complex is looming over the conversation all the time is the faith insistence that God is always present is the scriptural insistence that God is always present. And I just want to be careful when I say scriptural. I'm not necessarily saying I believe the Bible to be 100% clear that God is always here. I'm saying to an extent the used scriptural insistence, i.e. human beings say, no, but look, this says God, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, is a famous one. Think out of Romans. No, 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 sorry. That's that's Jesus speaking at the end of a gospel. Oh goodness me! I'm going to beef up on my Bible knowledge a little bit more clearly to be taken seriously when I refer to that. Yes, that is the end of I think Matthew's gospel. And so people will say, so a human will say, here we go. Here's a piece of text. There we go. Proves it. It's done. God never leaves. God is always there. And, and those are big challenges to face head on. But I don't feel now that you're coming directly at those. I think you are, you're starting somewhere else. And I think that's good. And I just want to say that for clarity's sake. That's how I read it. That, yes, those things hang over and those do need to be addressed and they do need to be spoken about. But my line of questioning with you, if I'm following which, how you're introducing it, is to say, okay, we'll get there. But to start with, let's examine the aspects of withdrawing and approaching absence and presence. Let's look at that from a relational perspective and go, what is actually happening there? And so partly what I'm wanting to just push you a bit on, uh, not push, that's, that's maybe not unfair, but just to really just try and drill further into. Are you saying that presence and absence is somewhat arbitrarily circumstantial, it happens, it's in the circumstances, and how we respond to that is helpful, or unhelpful? Or are you saying that presence and absence is an intentional necessity? It is in the DNA of relational intimacy. And without absence, and without presence, without that sort of flow, relational intimacy cannot be achieved. And I see those two as distinct. So the first one is, well, God is sometimes absent and we just have to deal with that and acknowledge it, and then we have to try and figure out how to be you know present when God is present or whatever. Or are we saying, that actually it's not so arbitrary. It's actually very important that God is both present and absent in the same way that we are both present and absent to God, perhaps in the same way. And I'm not pushing for an answer here. I'm really interested in what you're thinking, but also just to top that off with human beings, I see in human being relationship. It's not just kind of through laziness or lack of attention or whatever, but that in some ways, intimacy does flourish when there is not just a recognition because see that sounds in a way I feel like that sidesteps the agency question I guess I withdraw from someone I approach someone is the withdrawal as necessary for my relational intimacy with that person and potentially for theirs with me is the withdrawal as important as the approach because I think This is where it gets so damn complicated. When I think about then this overarching question, I think part of the unspoken theory is, no, relational intimacy is only achieved by the presence, by the promise of the constant commitment, etc., etc. And I think that's true to an extent. But I also know, for example, in human-to-human interaction, when two people are trying to make it together and they don't have alone time, they don't have withdrawal space, I don't think that that's, a, I don't think that's part of a healthy relational intimacy. Sorry, that's a lot, but I'm just trying to tease out what you're teasing out as you're teasing out it. and as I'm responding, it's flipping complex.
0: I feel like I'm tracking with you, but I, I want to put on the table different kinds of absence to start. The one is the kind of absence that someone never experienced. God arrive they've never had an experience of God's presence. And, and I think it's the same thing with God's voice. There's the kind of thing where someone is only ever exposed to God's silence and absence, whether they withdraw to their, their own solitude to practice a spiritual difference at Lecture Divina and fasting and prayer and, you know, all of those kind of things or not service, you know, like they, they do all the spiritual dif- disciplines, you can do that. But if you've never experienced God draw near and you've never heard God's voice, you don't know what you're hungering for. You don't know what you're looking for in that sense. So there is a different kind of absence where 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 someone hasn't entered into the experience of God. Now, the problem with the faith, overarching faith narrative is it says that God's always there. You, okay, so how do I make sense of God's absence? No, well, God is never absence. Okay, well, how do I make sense of God's voice? No, God has always spoken. It's there in scripture. Okay, that's not the same thing. You, you, you know, so so what we end up with is we end up with a confusion of terms. God's relational absence is redefined as God's relational presence in many situations. And that is tremendously dysfunctional. So so then there's a different kind of there's a different kind of absence. There's a the kind of absence that you start experiencing on the other side of the fence where you've been used to someone's presence and they've withdrawn from you, but you've only now just noticed. And then what happens is there's a longing for that presence. That's a very different kind of absence. So so if we drew a line, I'd say there's a very different kind of absence or silence that the believer experiences on one hand, and a very different kind of, of, of silence and absence that the mystic and the mystic-to-be experiences. Because for them, them withdrawing um, them practicing silence and solitude is is entering into a silence entering into the absence of god with the longing that god is going to draw near that that voice of god that presence of god is what they're actually looking for to experience and engage the problem with our overarching faith narrative it says at conversion or when you're immature you have those kind of experiences and you know what you're never really going to experience that till the resurrection again And if you do, it's solely on God's terms, and it can't be part of your relationship with God. And so when I think of it, we, we have less of a relationship with God. We've got a relationship with our faith, not a relationship with God. Because a relationship with God looks like one, looks like a relationship where you long for someone to arrive and draw near to you and spend time with you and communicate with you. So to value intimacy with God really is to value the becoming presence of God. And, and and to then value God's autonomy, God's need to withdraw. And I think that's that's where it gets into what you're saying. That 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 the interplay between absence and presence is vital for intimacy to, to actually exist, because the other person retains mystery, the other person retains agency.
1: I really like that. That's very, very helpful. So interestingly enough, then so so on the one hand we have so if, I, I liked how you distinguish, so let's just say believer and mystic, believer and mystic, mystic to be. That's two categories, not three. It also gets complex because different faith traditions and church traditions say different things, but as generally as I can be. So the believer has some sort of experience. It may or may not be some sort of, let's say relational God experience. It could be a rational assent to a you know set of faith statements. It could be a a social shift, a joining of a church community and just kind of dealing with whatever comes with that. It could be an introduction to God moment, however that plays out. It could be voice oriented, it could be action Oriented, right? It could be a sensed presence oriented. It could be you know all sorts of things. And in the believer paradigm, to a certain extent, that is that is necessary because because it is important to mark when you move from non-believer to believer, let's say. But to some extent that that marking of that happening, oh, it's too complex, there's so many different church cultures. But So let's say in a more sort of evangelical, like, you know, the give your heart to Jesus, the, you know, get saved, or whatever that sort of context.
0: Or, or, or confirmation, I mean, in, in a sense.
1: Yeah, in a way, but, yeah, I just find that the traditional stuff is a little bit more kind of wishy-washy because, like, if you think Anglican, you've been – Baptized at birth. I think the Catholics do infant baptism as well. And so there's this, there is a bit of a like a you're taking on this thing, but it's kind of always been there. So when is the actual first experience? Blah, blah, blah. Evangelicals are so much kinder to us because they just draw a line in the sand and go there. <laughs> this day you were out, this day you were in. That's it. <laughs> and I mean, I just you know, I had friends around me for ages who talk, when's your saved birthday? the fuck are you talking about was well, the day you got saved oh yeah you because you guys have like a day like march 15th you know 1981 not whatever it is okay gotcha you, gotcha you, gotcha you. so it's so this there's, there's like a very distinct line but then interestingly enough quite soon afterwards what i hear you saying is that gets very not quite erased but it's quite sort of confused after that, because no, but then God has always been, God has always been there, always been talking to you, always been reaching out to you through the scripture, circumstance, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, whatever it is. And so there's a, there, somehow that's very important, but it's also, it's it's just, yeah, you can toss it, it doesn't matter, compared to the, the kind of faith position of, of, of that. So I say, like with the traditional church, it's just a lot more difficult because the boundaries are so like, yeah. Well, you kind of always have been with God, and you know, you were given to God in your infant baptism, and so you know, like. So let me talk my story. So I would, I was baptized. I don't know, like a couple of months old. So in some ways, I swam in a paradigm in which I was told, yeah, but you've kind of just always been with God, and then confirmation. Yes, there's a definitive kind of, you know, now you're being the adult who's not taking that on for themselves is part of it. But I had a very definitive kind of meeting with God thing as well. And it's interesting in those contexts, that's very like, oh, look, we don't know what to do with that. (laughs) Because it's more murky. It's more of the, yeah, well, you've just kind of always been and God is just everywhere and it's all just one wonderful mystery soup. So in some ways there's across different, and then I'm aware there's just many other different sort of things, but in my experience that covers a, a huge amount of territory there, those two that have some just great similarities around, well, yeah, God just is always, all the time, you know. And, you know, in in a way, in some ways, I think what's prioritized is more the self to self in the, you, you are out this day, you are in this the next day, kind of evangelical approach, I think, because it's, like you now know you're in the family. And what's more important is less the you and the dad connection and whatever's going on, you know. It's more just you're in the family. And we're not actually worried about what God said or what happened or whatever so much as just you're in and the family's always existed and it's always been possible to be part of the family and you said the right words or whatever, blah, 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 accepted the right faith statements. I feel like I'm walking a bit in circles, but. I like what you're putting out in terms of there is a time in which you are not aware, don't know, haven't experienced the voice, or the presence, or the action. And so that absence is very different. And then at some point, it is possible to experience that there's an approach or drawing near. But that doesn't translate into what this overarching theory says is all. And from then onward, you guys were handcuffed together. And even if you hate each other, you can't get away from each other. That's it. You're stuck. But there are other absences. And I like how you nuance that, that, because those are far more... Like, I don't miss John Smith, who lives in the U.S. somewhere in some small town outside California and he has three kids and he lives in a two-bedroom house and they drive a Toyota Prius and his wife's name is Shirley. I don't miss those people. I have no idea who the fuck they are. Who are, like, who are these people? I've never experienced them. Maybe there's some sense of them being out there.
0: Let's see if we could get them to hear this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that
1: would be awesome. Shirley, if you're out there, give us a call. We want to chat with your husband. <laughs> But if I then did meet them, so let's say they do give us a call and say, hey, we heard you talking shit about us on your podcast. We're like, yes, awesome. Now I can meet you. <laughs> and, um, and now we could chat. And amazing, perhaps we have this most amazing connection and conversation. And then I never talk to them again. That's what I hear you saying. It's a dramatic difference between what you call that, like the, the existing absence or the default level absence before the first meeting, that then becomes an informed absence afterwards. And informed even then needs to be qualified because I think, I feel as I've spoken with some people who had an initial meeting and can't report any up follow-up to that. So in some ways their informed absence is different to someone who's told me I've been relating to god for 30 years and this last season is one of the hardest because i can't hear i don't hear god's voice i don't feel god being there that's a very different informed absence but they're both informed absences in a way is what i hear you saying that's really helpful start god i hope that wasn't a 20 minute tangent for nothing (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Look, I, I think any environment, and and yeah, I'd say the traditional and the evangelical environments, I would throw the charismatic and the Pentecostals and the third wave in the same category as well, but for, for different reasons perhaps. But I think it comes down to the same thing. the the, facts, the fact is, if you don't think that it's important for people to have a clear experience of God – then that evidence is a low value for God's relational presence and a low value for intimacy with God. If you feel that it's very important for someone to have a conversion experience that involves God's presence, but it's not central or vital after that, then likewise, you've got a low value for intimacy with God and a low value for relationship with God. In each case, you might have a high value for faith, but not for relationship. In renewal environments where prophetic and power encounters are put forward one may have a very high uh, value for subsequent experiences but that's also not the same as a high value for intimacy with god or for god's relational presence because because power encounters and those kind of encounters that take place in a church context ends up being like the kinds of encounters that happen when you when you when a group of people just meet someone in public for coffee it, that's that's not a high intimacy and environment when when people start going off together to get to know each other that's when you start transitioning towards towards friendship and, and intimacy and so so i feel like i feel like those kind of the the other kinds of environments especially the kind you know where people run the alpha course and you've got the holy spirit weekend or you know the vineyard kind of ministry time thing that's tacked on to the end of every service you know you know that kind of thing in those environments People often think that they, or they they feel that there's a difference to these other environments. Um, Or How do I phrase that better? They feel that because there is an opportunity for a power encounter with God, or a prophetic encounter with God, that therefore the value for intimacy with God is established. But in practice what that looks like is either a leader or a handful of people being prepared to hear from God for other people, and a handful of people responding. It's not a culture of intimacy. It's not a culture of relating. It's not a culture of valuing intimacy with God or a culture of waiting on valuing the presence of God. It's a it's it's valuing a, a power encounter, but it's not it's not a deep intimate engagement if that if that makes sense. So I feel like we I feel like I'd like to unpack that on its own merits in another environment, or like at another opportunity. But I do want to highlight it, yeah, in case my my, my fellow vineyard and other brethren feel like yeah, yeah yeah we're on the same page yeah and we've got the answer no I don't think we do and I'm owning that as someone who comes from within that environment
1: I'm just I'm stuck a bit because I I feel like you're saying you want to explore that somewhere else but I want to explore that right now
0: <laughs> Okay okay well let's let, let's make we'll just, 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 just,
1: even do just it. quickly but like so that really fascinates me because. Surely some of what's going on there is a portion of intimacy in the power encounter. Yes. Perhaps. I'm I'm thinking out loud because I'm just wondering, like something's happening. But from our perspective, okay, let's just draw some boundaries around this and put some players on the board and see what we can come up with. Uh, Church building, 100 people there. Service finishes. Someone gets up front and says, "Right, we we're going to do this thing where we wait on God, and God will show up, and God will meet with some people." It's the language of meeting. That meeting is can have a can have a, a a level of intimacy to it. Right? You can have somewhat intimate connection with someone in, in a coffee shop. You can even have somewhat intimate connection with three or four people in a coffee shop, but. These are facets of intimacy rather than necessarily, what do we say, like full-blown intimacy or or, or the depths of intimacy or whatever. But you can have experiences of each other and God is going to come and meet with some people. And so that space opens up and and let's say five people move off to the side and, and one person out of the five is talking to another person out of the five So person one is speaking to person two in the presence of person three, four and five. And something happens with person two, there is this power encounter, they receive some sort of healing, or touch, or sense of presence, or a voice, or, or the gifting of something unlocking within them, perhaps emotionally, something happens. And we would say that there are five people there, but it's not only five people. There is a sixth person who is meeting somewhat directly with person two, sometimes mediated by person one. But in the power encounter, we would say that there is either the potential or it is also has happened and does still happen. That person two, perhaps introduced by person one, has some sort of encounter with the person of God. Something happens there. That's a touching, that's intimate. That's an experience. That's a meeting. That there's a version of no, it's not even there's a portion. There's 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 a piece of intimacy happening there.
0: That's it's vital. It's vital for the yeah. that stuff to happen.
1: Yeah. Right. But if it if that's it, if that's the only meeting, if that is the only time of connection, of hearing, of touch, of experience, whatever, in a way, what I'm hearing you saying, we could be saying is I go to, uh, I don't know, this is maybe a helpful one because it's also involves physical touch. I go to Johnny the physio, and I have a power encounter with Johnny who happens to have two students observing him that day. and. Johnny does some work on my shoulder and touches me. And I experience some sort of healing. And at the same time, it's been a deep frustration, my my injured shoulder. And when something slips and comes right and is easier, I have an emotional response to my connection with Johnny that day because Johnny has done something. Johnny has impacted my life in a way that is profound. I feel an emotional unlocking pain that I've carried or the frustration or perhaps my inability to do something because of my injury whatever it is and I feel some sort of connection with this person who's done it for me and it's witnessed by these two other students let's say and so there's four of us in that I have some version of intimacy some portion of intimacy with Johnny the physio I've got my shirt off so there's some level of sort of vulnerability there johnny is touching me with johnny's hands <laughs> trying to fix me you know it's this physical touch there through what johnny does i experience something quite wonderful perhaps liberating perhaps uh, exciting perhaps you know whatever it might be but i only know johnny is johnny the physio that is the limit of my intimacy. I've even paid for that interaction to go and have that experience. If I really wanted to go further with Johnny, I'd have to say, hey, what are you doing after this? You want to get a drink? <laughs> you know, and Somehow plow through the awkwardness of what is that? Like asking your physio out or um, you're hitting on your physio or saying, hey, could, could we be friends or whatever? But that's kind of some of what I hear you saying is there is a limit to the intimacy in those kinds of settings. But there is an invitation in those kinds of settings to something to move beyond. Let me be careful. What am I saying? To recognize the limitations there, but to realize that what's on the table is not only offered in that get-together with those five people. Right? Person two gets to go home and potentially pursue that relationship with that being that drew near in that setting because that being is not captive to that setting neither is person two right and and it can grow and develop blah blah blah. Uh,
0: often what happens is 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 that's more the typical post-renewal kind of scenario so you've got a hundred five are engaging in that kind of experience right the other 95 are doing what the other 95 are often off to coffee <laughs> because they don't feel that's relevant to them. They no longer need a power encounter. Joe Bloggs has been healed. Um, Sally's had prophetic words and it's, it's like on a wise track in life and like everything's come together, you know, that kind of thing. So they've, they've, they've been there and that they don't need that anymore. So w- what we do is we end up with a culture where it's only those that are needy and broken need that power encounter or those whose faith is low or those that need some kind of top up that, that's a very dysfunctional kind of relationship that's being built because it it basically says, if you're not doing fine, then this is for you. But if you're doing fine, then what is there for you? Well, then you don't need to encounter God. And that's because the practice dominates and the value doesn't lead. If we lead with a value for intimacy with God, then then as vital as those kind of ministry times are, they don't end up being, they don't solely define what it is. Because in many environments, I know many, many vineyard people that basically like, how do you reboot a church? How do you do it? Well, you just just teach this ministry training thing and you get churches to do this kind of stuff. Okay. So you get teams going around, they teach churches to do that, but they don't get sustained because there isn't a, Value. there isn't a culture, there isn't a deep seated value for intimacy with God, for valuing the presence of God, for waiting on God, uh, you know, as a practice that comes out of that, or from 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 connecting with God deeply in worship and taking time there. You know, that kind of thing. The the value of just being present to God, the value of, of of longing for God, the expression of longing for God. In that environment, if you've got the ninety five going, you know, I you know, I don't I can afford an ERP but I don't need God to heal me. <laughs> I'm out of here, you know, like I don't need that. That's, that's for those people that are needy of that kind of stuff. That ends up being quite different. It's not a, it's not a culture of intimacy. It's not a culture of valuing presence then. It's a culture of valuing power encounter or prophetic encounter to display that God is real, to get people to convert to faith, to do what? To come to church.
1: To agree to not needing God.
0: Yeah, in order to agree to not needing God, yeah. Why? Because God has been Some. proven, so then I don't have a need for God whereas that's different to meeting someone and and realizing you know oof, it's two or three days later you know I'm still thinking about them maybe I should give them a call what could we do together maybe we could go for a walk or coffee maybe we could go for a movie go maybe i could invite them over for a meal you know that kind of stuff there, there's different that's a very different kind of thing suddenly there's a there's a there's a long there's the longing and the value for the connection with the person, which is why I think the language of intimacy is important. If you don't have a desire for God, it's hard to cultivate intimacy with God. If you don't have a desire for God, it's very hard to say, well, I actually want to put time into meeting God. If you've got a culture that says that God is always there and God is always present, then how can you have a longing for God? The only way in which you can have that longing is if something is wrong on your side. And therefore you've got to make right with God, which looks like repent, believe, deal with your sin, blah, 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 blah. And if you've done that, you should be at peace with yourself. And being at peace with yourself is, again, that's being fine with God. And I think there we've got a very different kind of peace or a very different kind of peace that we arrive at when confuse that peace of leaving the anxiety behind, leaving dysfunction behind, leaving trauma behind. We confuse that peace that we arrive at with in ourselves with the peace that comes with God's presence. Or, you know, in other environments, we've got to talk about the terror that comes with God's presence. God doesn't always arrive in the same way. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily helpful, but I think, I think, yeah, I think the uh, the other the other thing that starts happening in that kind of ministry environment is where do you get experience God? You get experience God when you come to the church service. How how do you gatekeep? Uh, who gatekeeps your experience with God? Well, it depends on the pastor or the leader and whether they value and they push ministry time. You know, if they stop doing that, then 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 how is that access to God available to you? it's only available to you through those ministry teams through those ministry leaders in that environment that again is not a high value for r- intimacy with god because you're not cultivating or enabling people to cultivate intimacy with god for themselves you're again creating some kind of culture of dependency and that culture of dependency is on the gifts and gift giving is a vital part of a relationship but it's not with it it, it you know it's not the beginning and the end of intimacy
1: Oh, that's so helpful. So I I, I think back a bit to, to my silly example of the physio, right? And going, so let me take the second one first. So the gift giving, which is just very good. Now I'll come to that second,
0: or like, <laughs> okay. I don't know. You've got be hanging <laughs> I don't know where seat. I want to start. <laughs>
1: <sighs> I think any relationship that exists where the one person only goes to the other when they want something, I think of like children coming to parents, I need some money, can you drive me here? But that's it. It's a very poor relationship. Right? And I guess then I think of, you know, then that, that typifies like a transactional business relationship. In kind of the real world, that's me and Johnny, the physio, going, Look, I have another problem with my shoulder, so I need that from you. You're going to give me your skills. Here's some money. Fix my shoulder. Thank you very much. That's it. That's as far as we go. Right. And so I think the better example is if I think about it like a child and a parent and go, who wants to have a relationship with a kid? Over time, obviously, if the child is only ever going – I want an apple. I want this. I want an Xbox. I want, I want, I want, I want. And they only ever speak to you when they when they have I wants. And you just think, okay, well, that's uh, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna be a deep relationship between parent and child. But then what you say earlier is also just really, really helpful. It's really good. In terms of, and I just need to try and get my thoughts straight in terms of the like the brokenness quotient. So Relationship is only there. No, 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 no. Experience is only there if you're broken. Relationship is not actually prioritized from from like a systems thinking perspective, right? Like, I would still want to say, no. Okay, I'll come back to that. The individual, but so the church is putting forward, as you say, the ninety-five old bugger off to coffee. <coughs> Why? Because. Well, they have what they need. What they need is not to be relationally connected with God. What they need is to be fine, to feel whole, to feel good enough. And that's a very like what relationship exists like that? I'll only ever come to you, oh, like there's something wrong with me, and I need you to make me feel better. But as soon as I feel better, I just ignore you and I, like that's that's incredibly dysfunctional and so any sense of needing god yeah well, is exactly that it's needy it's it's less than it's subpar it's less than optimal it's not actually what we're here for what we're here for is actually to be just well put together and confident and facing the world etc cetera, etc cetera. we're not here to give into our neediness which is our needs which is fundamental to deep relationship with Someone else is the acknowledgement I can't fulfill all my own needs. And I seek relationships, not from a manipulative, coercive, or self-involved perspective, but because the mutual meeting of needs, I actually want to meet your needs, and I want you to meet mine. And, And there's something beautiful in that exchange. It's not a brokenness, neediness, although often there is lots of brokenness that comes to the surface in relationships. But if you looked... so. If, if you took a couple and you said, wow, they have a deep, amazing relationship. They meet each other's needs. They're connected. Look how they speak to each other. Look how they speak with each other. Look what they've kind of built around themselves. That's quite amazing. I will put that in a church context and go, what a load of crap. Look how weak and pathetic these people are. <laughs> Look what they've done. <laughs> Look at this relationship they've built up. And I love how you how you can pull that out because that in the systems thing is, is just, yeah, is a complete, it's a complete lack of value and I think a devaluing of relationship with God.
0: The gift environments and the ministry environment is exactly the same as like your physio environment. If you go to physio to get your shoulder fixed and they're, they're really starting to enjoy you, Steve... With your shirt off mm. <laughs> boundaries have been crossed, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not on. if you go to the physio and you start to enjoy them, <laughs> 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 boundaries have been crossed, not on now now gift yeah. environments is, is is exactly the same thing and ministry whether you're delivering prophetic gifts or healing gifts or the power encounter, you know the you know, the, the knowledge of the power whatever it is, it's a I serve I, I give a gift. The person accepts the gifts. Cool, we're we're okay. A culture of intimacy makes space for someone to say, I'm allowing God access to me, not for gifts, but to enjoy me. And in this environment, I'm also making, I'm also expecting God to become available to me, not just for gifts in a transactional relationship, but for me to enjoy God. And in an environment like that, Worship is very different to just the band singing songs. And 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 ministry and 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 valuing God's presence is is to actually give God the gift of access to the fullness of you, and together with that to give God the enjoyment of that, to allow God to take enjoyment from you. And for that to be reciprocated by God giving access to God's presence and allowing us to take enjoyment. It's a different environment. That's why intimacy is vital because we don't allow that kind of stuff in friendship. In friendship, we will do a task together and we'll enjoy the doing of that task together, which is why I feel that renewal environments often end up being tremendously valuable in demonstrating and standing out as a beacon that God is real and that we've got to value God's presence, but they go quite dysfunctional later on when they refuse to develop language for God's withdrawal and for God's stopping doing that. And for then, okay, then our behavior must change. If God is withdrawn, we can't just arrive and say, well, I arrived at church to wait on God, therefore God had to avenir. If God is withdrawn and arrived at church, I should be able to recognize that. One of the things renewal teaches us, and it really upends evangelical and mainland churches, is that it evidences that that language for the arrival of God is a very very poorly filled out language and category for us. We've got a very poor language for what intimacy with God means, for what it means for God to draw near. And we have lots of horror stories we react to. So we've got poor language for that. But then in those other environments, why they provide us those horror horror stories? Because they refuse to develop language for God's withdrawal. Basically, I feel that in the gift-giving environment, we're not creating a culture of intimacy. Because we're creating a culture of giving gifts, whether it's power gifts or, or prophetic gifts, and just accepting them. But we're not creating a, a, an environment of deep emotional relational engagement between two persons that value and respect each other. And I think that's the fundamental difference. If we've got a whole congregation that values the presence of God, that 95 others are actually also enjoying the presence of God rather than going off to have coffee. There's a, there's, a, there's a distinct difference between the two. And you see, I think you see that when renewal starts and it, it'll be the five people that go off for coffee and the 95 that will stay to encounter God. <laughs> Post-renewal, it'll be five that stay for ministry and the 95 that go off to, for coffee. And the reason why, I think, is because we haven't cultivated, we haven't established a culture that values the presence of God and we haven't got a culture where everyone is equally uh, versed in the coming and going of god
1: so this is 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 where some of we like we look for language of things of valuing the creator over the creation the gift giver over the gifts right mm-hmm. it's the sense of pushing into the personhood behind the happenings the because it's, because in, in, in a way like the the gifts are a manifestation of a depth of personhood, right? In the same way human to human, that if I give a gift to someone that that, that actually comes from a far way off. It comes from an expression of who I am. and in a way is is somewhat a tacit invitation to say this, there's, there's a lot going on here, there's a lot of me that you could get to know if you would like. You're just having a little blip of an experience of me in this gift that I want to give you. But that comes from somewhere. There are emotions behind that. There are potential needs. There are desires. There are all sorts of things attached to the simple act of, yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of flowers or a chocolate or something meaningful or, or whatever it might be. And to focus on that, which is so I want to use language like superficial, but that's not that's not fair because it's not meaningless. The gifts are not meaningless. they're very deep and they're important, and they're an expression of love. But superficial in terms of surface level, it's that's happening very much on the surface. And there is a lot. I mean that's good. So how would we describe that in terms of introductory? it it carries significant weight, but there's a lot more. Meeting somebody for an hour, you can't say exactly who they are, but you can journey with them for 50 years. You would have a much better sense if perhaps you know you never plumb the depths of who they are. And so the introduction is is weighty. I mean, anyone who's had a significant introduction ever in their life will know what we're talking about. That feeling of, like you said, it's two days. I want to phone this person. Oh, why did I find them so attractive? What is it? I just want to see them again. I just want to be around them. I want to experience. And some of that might overflow in or here's a gift or the meeting might have been in a gift or something. So it's not insignificant, but it's, but it's a blip in terms of what's actually available. I like how you talk about enjoying that. That for me talks about availability. There's a lot there for me to access. And there's a lot that I can make available to be accessed in me. And that mutual connection is, is deep is a foundation for deep relationship, and I experience that in the coming together of two, and then I ache and I desire and I long in the times of the the withdrawing of each or one of the yeah you know, the pair connecting.
0: you know i'm just i'm I'm just reminded yeah you of your your reference earlier to. Um, jesus statement of i'll never leave you nor forsake you right often what we're doing there is we, we're drawing off the shelf of of the spirituality of others because jesus his first audience were the people that he said that to if i if i just take that and say that applies to me but i haven't gone through the steps of of what adam and eve did god comes to join them for an evening walk and then god withdraws Jesus says that a greater relationship than what Adam and Eve had is possible for us in this life, when he uses language like, you know, at some point my father and I will come make our home in you. And those are the first people, when he says that to to people, it's to those people that he says, we're pretty close to you, we're never going to leave you nor forsake you. And unfortunately, I think what we have is we've, we've got a faith that draws on that and says that that conclusion applies to us but not the preliminary steps of the introduction, the walking in the garden, the, you know, the, the the power encounter, the gift encounters, the, oh, look, we're going to come and make our home in you. Oh, look, we are so close, I'm never going to leave you. There's, there's a progression there. <clears throat> and again, I think we, we take that process out of the picture when we sell people this picture of faith that says your experience of God is not important. Because it mm. was, mm. what did Adam and Eve to go on? Experience of God. What did Abraham to God experience of God? You know, show me one figure that's actually mentioned, that's titled <laughs> in scripture, that doesn't have the experience of God to God. And mm. the building picture is towards this picture of Jesus, where that, that relational engagement is actually the predominant and defining feature of his life. And then we say, yeah, we can be like Jesus except without that same relational engagement with God. I think that's where our spirituality leaves us, and our spirituality leaves us in a place that's quite dry and quite miserable and isn't life-giving for us.
1: Mm. You, you know what, was also helpful. I like how you described the building there, so a slightly different track, but I think that's also is a part of it. If I think about sort of a few few thoughts that sort of <laughs> perhaps congeal around this, I don't know, let's see, hopefully coalesce. See, you know you meet somebody new, somebody really fascinating. And one of the first sort of desires, almost instinctual desires is, oh, I just want to be around this person all the time. You think of like young love, right? Like like first love, like that's that's <laughs> I can remember being fifteen <laughs> and being driven home in my girlfriend's father's car. He was driving me home.
0: Oh, that must be been comfortable. In,
1: <laughs> yeah, unbelievably uncomfortable. I'm sitting in the front seat, passenger seat, and she's sitting behind me. And we're so desperately in love with each other, this young love at 15 years old, that I'm sitting there with my hand down the side of the car seat into the back so that she can hold one of my fingers and I can hold one of her fingers in return, just even on the car ride because it's just, Desperate to be in each other's presence and not be separated, and and we used to spend hours on the phone. And my father would tear his hair out. What little was left because we're spending so much time on the phone. What is this? What is this? This is desperation. And I also then think of like small children and how desperate they are not to be abandoned by their caregiver, not to be oh, abandoned too strong. That's what I mean. I mean more sort of there's that separation anxiety. That's what I'm going for. So but you left the room so i started to cry like oh there you are thank god <laughs> you're just behind the door you know and but as children get older there are there are significant leavings i'm going to leave you at school for the first time i'm going to leave you to figure that problem out on your own i'm going to leave you to battle through tying a shoelace because i know he you know how to do it and so there's also a building there in terms of that there's no growth towards maturity if a parent stays 100% accessible all the time for a child. The child never has to stand on their own two feet. And, and I see this all the time, by the way. I feel like I just see this everywhere with children who have parents who, who hang around them, overly hang around them. There's just no risk. There's no space. There's no absence. And abs- this, you know, this was, was kind of suggesting to me earlier, absence is really important. But under that absence, like there is a, like I would never say to my kids, I will never leave you nor forsake you, except after the age of six, after which I'll probably forsake you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the under, like the foundational promise is I'm not going anywhere. I'm there for you. But now you're eight, I'm going to be there for you differently to when you were two. So now I'm going to be there for you by not tying your shoes. I'm going to let you feel that absence so you can tie your own shoelaces. I'm I'm not going to be there for you. I've just done this with my son. He's just started his second season of football here in the Netherlands. And the, the last time round, I was very sensitive to his language. And he was learning the Dutch language and everything. And so like... I was, when we went to football practice, I was there on the field with him the whole time, helping him understand what the coach was saying, helping him integrate, helping him, encouraging him with his skills, blah, blah, blah. Yesterday, I took him to his first practice of the new season. And I started to talk us through with him on the bike ride there saying, I'm not going to be on the field with you anymore. I'm going to be on the side of the field and I'll be close. And you'll hear me cheering you on. But you've moved up to a new level, a new division. And so I'm going to leave you to be on the field amongst those boys your own age, on your own. And you know that if you're confused, you can say to the coach, what did you say? I didn't understand, or whatever it is. And that actually, like, that was really hard for me as a parent to do. And I think it was significant for him as well. But There was an absence that I intentionally created. Because I had a sense if I don't do that, I'm going to be, that's a disservice to him. But all of that absence is built on the premise of the promise, which is, I will not leave you. I will not. I'm not going to dump you. But I will create absence spaces because I think they're necessary. And and for me, there's a there's a growth pattern there, and I think coming back to the relational, like the the two people in a in, in a in a romantic relationship, that honeymoon period that people talk about does wear off, and I think it's some sometimes it wears off badly for people, and they become functional partners, or you know, like they fall out of love in a in a in an unhelpful way, and for others, they mature out of that honeymoon period into something deeper, into a deeper friendship, into what you described earlier, turning towards each other for quality time, for intimacy, for enjoyment of each other. But the one partner can't go to work with the other one and sit on his lap or sit on her lap because the boss will say, I only employed one of you. What the hell are two of you doing? (laughs) You know, just to start with. And that there's space needed. There's absence needed. In those in that relationship, it can't be on top of each other all the time.
0: Look, I I, I really like the way you referring to absence there and intentional absence. One might use the language of the abandonment of God as well within that. Um, you know, intentional abandonment or intentional absence or you know curated experiences like that, where where it's important for children to grow up and stand on their own two feet. God wants that for us as well. I think that we misapply it. If someone was raised to believe in a God that they've never experienced, they perhaps have a conversion experience and have a once-off, oh my goodness, I heard God's voice, I've got something for my life, yeah, God is real, and then you've only got absence after that. That's not the same thing. And I think I think that what, what you're speaking of there is tremendously vital in a very healthy relationship, and yet it can be so misappropriated and, and neglects is actually what is being done, and with a lot of our spirituality, we're basically saying that God neglects us, and that that's what maturity looks like because we get to do it on our own. And mm, it's, mm. it's, it's a, yeah, this it's is a,
1: zero score intimacy,
0: right? Exactly, exactly. But also, it's 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 not actually the neglect of God or neglect by God because that relationship has not been established. It actually hasn't even grown and so that's a very different kind of scenario and i think that it's very important that we 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 recognize cuz there's even jesus saying to his disciples at some point he says i give you the keys to the kingdom you know that's like the equivalent of saying yo you've become really responsible for the stuff that i've been showing you yes yes the keys to the car the keys to the house you know like i can trust you i i can leave you with this no problem and and unfortunately, what we have often with people going into ministry or people grow up, growing up in the faith is they've got no schooling in the kingdom stuff at all. But then people lay claim to that, and when they lay like, claim, you end up with very dysfunctional things again. Um, you know, v- again, very dysfunctional practices, very dysfunctional things that are prioritised, and again, it's because there's a low value for the relational presence of God, a low value for intimacy
1: with God. I once heard somebody describe the book of Genesis, as a helpful roadmap for what it means to be Christian, I I think that's a fair summary, I want to be careful there. Essentially, at the beginning of Genesis, if you read textually, God is present a lot and speaks a lot. And as you move through the happenings of Genesis, God speaks less and less and is absent more and more. And eventually you have the story of Joseph in which, and I'm open to correction here, but my understanding is God does not speak. God does not show up in person and speak in the story of Joseph and, and everything that kind of happens. And that's a significant chunk of Genesis towards the end. And that that is the wisdom growth that was put on the table. Is, but that's what it's like. There's, there's a lot of like dependency. And, and it wasn't covered from a relational perspective at all, but it's a sense of this is what it's like to start with. But if you're going to grow up, you actually have to grow into yourself and become independent and stand on your own two feet. And what we're saying is, yes, in some ways, you do have to grow up and stand on your own two feet. That is important, the, the yearning towards and stretching towards the keys of the kingdom and being trusted by God and being an adult in the family of God, which I've always found a fascinating question. What is it like to be an adult child to God as parent, but also experience God as, as intimate other and so that is very important because I, I I I'm more and more convinced that it's not the intended trajectory of my life is to stay, you know, like broken and and immature and and unhealthy. It's I've got a I've got a to arc towards the better and the good, and the healthy. But that doesn't mean that that is the relational trajectory because in both if i come back to both analogies that i was saying earlier no parent wants to raise a child so that by the time i don't feel at least i really don't think so by the time that child is 21 they never have to hear from them again that's a dysfunctional parent child relationship and no intimate romantic relationship aims like its 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 uppermost goal is that after a flurry of connection and sex and perhaps bringing some children into the world and whatever, that they just seek back, sort of sink back into a very functional relationship where they run a home and they have jobs and all the rest of that stuff. I think a healthy relationship holds on to the possibilities, the real potential for authentic and deep relational connection between two people, friendship connection, physical, intellectual, Like real long term, deeper and deeper connection over time. And so there's the maturing of the, the individual and absence and presence, I think, is wrapped up into that. But there's also the maturing of the relationship. Well, there's the fact first of the relationship, I think. Then there's the experience and the maturation, the maturation of that relationship over time, which does not end up in what's a curious paradox actually as I think about it because I think it does in some ways end up with me being a bit alone as I become more and more myself and I don't I don't have to be me I don't have to rely on someone else to be me there there is a standing on my own two feet of that but part of being me paradoxically is also to be interlinked in, in this woven into the web of relationship to exist in that deeply to share and to give and to take. It's not to be enmeshed, because that's kind of what I would say earlier, like the, the enmeshment is bad. That's the unhealthy, perhaps earlier on, where you can't distinguish the one from the other. So there's this paradox of each standing on their own two feet and being kind of complete individuals, and yet yearning for each other and bound to each other and meeting each other's needs.
0: I think you answered something that's very helpful and very good there. I think that the, the danger is we often use one analogy as though it is it is the only, you know, like we, no single image of God fully encapsulates God's relationship with us. The parent-child dynamic and God raising us to, towards not being children, but raising us towards being adults is is very helpful and is very important. But God is also the lover of our souls, and i think that that is arguably the image that we are to enter into and that is supposed to actually characterize the closeness that we have to god so on one hand there's the, the god wants to raise us up to be independent to stand on our own feet to be god's ambassadorial representatives you know to be appointed to rule the earth like god rules the heavens you know et cetera et cetera so there's there, that distance is important right but then there's another degree where where Jesus specifically speaks of the, okay, you know, like when he sends the disciples out, they're supposed to do these things. They've got to announce the kingdom, drive out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick, forgive people of their sins, and then they're supposed to say, Jesus is coming to meet with you. And the language that Jesus uses for his disciples after he'd done all of that with them is the language of, I, my father and I are going to come to make our home in you. That, that's a deep, intimate thing. That's that's not an invasive thing, that's not a threat. <laughs> that's 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 actually a, a fulfilling a longing that's deep within those disciples, those people. There's a deep longing for God to be close, to to be present within us. And so, yes, we can use the language of of the kingdom of God is within you and all that kind of stuff. But often we're applying it to people to whom that kingdom has not yet entered. We use it as a blanket statement, as though as though because there is a potential for it, therefore it exists within everyone, and that is not the case. And so Jesus's language then is, "We will, we will." There is going to be a process. We're going to come and make our home in you. There is there is the sense of settling in and settling in over time, and and that needs to be welcomed, you know, because it's not an invasion. It's a it's a there is a there is a host relationship to to the honoured strangers who actually become the household guests, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, again, we, we run then into the limitations of the analogy, but the the key certainly in Jesus' life wasn't one of of being left on his own. Yes, the abandonment of God, the cross, all that kind of stuff like vital, but that doesn't characterize a relationship. If you only have abandonment and, and the absence is the dominant feature in a relationship, you don't have a functional relationship. That's what it comes down to. Jesus' abandonment wasn't a moment of celebration for him. It was a moment of tremendous cosmic pain. The the, the relational unity, the return that he has to the Father, that's actually a higher thing. It supersedes, <laughs> you know, his ascension supersedes his his death and re- resurrection. Even, I think, when it comes to our spirituality, we we think of ourselves as being gloriously independent. I think, on the whole. We struggle to be present and value intimacy with ourselves. We struggle to have intimacy with our partners and to maintain that in a healthy way. And it just makes logical sense that we'll struggle to maintain intimacy with God because God too is a person and we're actually pretty poor at maintaining intimacy with with persons. (laughs) And so so to value intimacy with God, to prioritize it and to practice it, Looks like valuing God's drawing near and God's withdrawing both is important, but it also means having and being able to develop clear language for it. If we don't have clear language for God drawing near, and and all our language says that you know God is always near, then 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 have we really been intimate? Have we really gotten to know God? Is the questions that I start asking, and you know, I think needs to follow from that. Urban Mystic relies on your support to do the work that we do. Please consider making a regular or one off contribution via the, the link to PayPal in the show notes. Please don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the co- podcast and leave a comment on your favourite listening platform.